The quiet fishing town of Otari has flourished for the last 400 years. While life moves a bit slower here than the nearby metropolis of Absalom, an abundance of forests and an ingenious flume running from the mill to the harbor gives this town plenty of opportunity for jobs, boasting three different lumber companies all sharing resources. A large 30-foot diameter water wheel, known to the locals as the Giant's Wheel, turns at the top of the cliffs, constantly providing enough power to the mechanized treadmill. The churning of the wheel and the loud sawing of the wood provides a constant backdrop to this otherwise quiet town. The Otari fishery provides ample entertainment for gambling. The Dawnflower Library provides plenty of books and temples to the gods, and a smattering of taverns keep people liquored up when they are off the clock. Ominously, the Otari graveyard sits high above the cliffs overlooking the tranquil town of Otari, looking out over the harbor with its constant churn of ships taking the wood to far-off destinations. The mayor of this town, Osef Menhems, has strong ties to one of the thriving lumber companies and proudly traces his lineage back to the founders of the town. But it is not this proud figure that has drawn you to this small town. Instead, it was somebody with a more, shall we say, quirky nature? Rin Savinsky, an elven woman with tiefling heritage, put out the call for heroes. Her tiefling heritage is impossible to miss, and she has long since embraced it. Eyes devoid of pupils, small ram's horns curling around her elven ears, a thin tail, and fingertips that sparkle with motes of glittering lights leave no doubt that she is touched by supernatural forces. Yet her quick smile and welcoming attitude sets you at ease. It's here, within her open-air shop, that we begin our story. Her store is called Rin's Wonders, filled to the brim with small trinkets. The store itself consists of what appear to be standing stones arranged in a 60-foot diameter circle surrounding a 15-foot-high dome of wooden beams. While sometimes covered in canvas, they are currently pulled down, revealing the beautiful sky filled with stars, the moonlight streaming in, and mixing with the cool breeze coming off the sea. Thank you all for coming, says Rin. I've been following the stars, trying to make sense of their patterns. I've always had a gift for the spiritual and a knack for visions that often come true. And that is what led me to call on you heroes to come and help prevent something terrible from happening. My visions, they are not clear. The dead coming back to life, cities under siege, a shadowy presence just on the edge of my dreams that blocks me from seeing exactly what will happen. And then it happened. She pauses to take a sip of her drink, eyeing the heroes in turn as she does so. Sorry, I have a tendency to get ahead of myself. Shall we start with proper introductions? She motions to the man sitting next to her. Eleanor, why don't you start? One by one, we get a good look 
and meet the heroes of our story. We have new Lara, a gray-skinned Dustwalker fighter intent on keeping her companions safe with her shield. We see Halarmony, an 18-year-old human bard looking for glory and riches so that he can marry his love, the sweet Caroline. We have Aurelia, a human alchemist looking to uncover lost secrets that might lurk below the ruins. And we have Elanir, a cavern elf witch and Rin's assistant, who has decided standing on the sidelines is no longer an option for him. As the heroes go around and introduce themselves to one another, Rin sips her tea, listens, and nods. She quickly redirects the conversation back to why she's brought the heroes here. Here in Otari, there's a popular nursery rhyme sung to all the children. When I came to hear it, I thought little of it until I would find myself humming it when my mind wandered. It goes like this. When the fog is creeping and the moon is low, when the town is sleeping, gauntlet starts to glow. That's when she arises for her midnight lunch. Naughty kids are prizes for her teeth to crunch. But if you obey me and obey the rules, you're safe from Belcora. She just eats the fools. She pauses a little too long here, seemingly lost in thought. Ahem. Sorry. But as it turns out, it has happened. The gauntlet recently started glowing again. I have seen it in my visions. A small lighthouse, not too far north of here. If legends are to be believed, it was the site of the final showdown between a band of heroes and a hag named Belcora. They defeated her in spectacular fashion, crumbling the keep down upon itself. And there it has sat, empty and ruined for hundreds of years. And yet the lighthouse stood the test of time, never crumbling, never giving into the swamp that has since reclaimed its territory. Just the lighthouse within the ruins, sitting idle, waiting, biding its time. She takes another sip, looking around, reading all the heroes' faces. And, well, that's where you come in. I need you to go and check the lighthouse. We need to see what is going on. The glow, it must be stopped. Because while nursery rhymes are just tall tales, the truth is, so long as the lighthouse glows, we are all in danger. I cannot offer you much. I will offer you a modest sum of five gold if you can go investigate the source of the light. And of course, my services are at your disposal. And my tutelage, if any of you are interested in taking the next step in your occult or spirituality trainings. But even then, I've already seen the stars. I've seen your paths. And I know that you will undertake what I 
asking. Maybe it's for the glory. Maybe it's for the untold riches. But either way, it will be because this is your fate. And now we transition to episode one. Our four heroes decide to follow through at first light on Rin's request. Heading out towards the mysterious lighthouse, the group finds a ruined keep surrounding the structure. As they peek around, looking for signs of what might be going on, the group is ambushed by their first threat, a slurk in the shallow pond. After avoiding the ambush, Nulara jumps into the water, pursuing the threat, while the rest of the party safely fires from the shore. With a mighty slash, Nulara crit and down the threat, saving the rest of the party. Shortly after, the group decides to try the front door of the keep. There, they are met with some strange blue-skinned creatures, a group of mitflits. As they are harassed from the rafters above, the group returns fire. And with two of the mitflits easily dispatched, the last survivor runs out of the roof and across some vines stretching between the rooftops. And as the party move and take their final shots as it runs away, they miss leaving a survivor fleeing down and into a distant building to warn their clan. Episode 2. The group decides to cautiously press into the keep, but a keen eye quickly spots that the bridge leading across the moat is sawed up and rigged to fall if too much weight is put onto it. Thus, they decide to find an alternate way into the walls, and so circle around the east side of the building. Splashing across the water, they find the outside walls completely crumbled, giving them easy access to the heart of the structure, getting them one step closer to the lighthouse. And as they cross and enter, they notice another group of the Mitflits. This time, three of them training what looks to be a maggot larger than themselves. Noticing the heroes, combat ensues with the Mifflets commanding their pet into battle Pokemon style. And while the Mifflets are dispatched easily and the rain start works in favor of the heroes, the maggot proves more formidable of a foe, closing the distance and even latching onto Elanir. As the group fights unsuccessfully to get it off, Elanir goes down. Hal quickly sues him, getting Elanir back up, and the group coordinates to take down the remaining threat. With the finishing move coming from Hal Harmony, showing some surprising bravery, tumbling through the enemies into the thick of things, and landing a critical hit to finish off the maggot. After pausing to rest and recover, the group presses closer to where the fleeing Mitflit escaped to earlier. There, they found a massive pit with more Mitflits digging for food in the rubble. After luring them out into a trap, the Mitflits try to run and alert their bosses to the dangers. It was not one, but two crits from Hal Harmony here with the sling that saved the day. Though unfortunately, neither one was seen by his companions. As they push closer to the Mitflits' main hideout, they notice something scary. 
a large skeleton clad in armor, wielding a huge polearm, guarding the door. Realizing that they may be in over their head, and that the Mitflits were not a danger so long as they stayed on the outskirts, they decided to leave them alone and double back towards the lighthouse to continue their investigation. Back through the ruined keep, aged hundreds of years in dismay, they found a most peculiar sight. A door that was so decayed it crumbled when opened leads into the lighthouse itself where the stone looks like it hasn't aged a single day. This newly white stonework stands defiant to the passing of time, stretching up towards the sky. With only a fresh bloodstain sitting on its surface at the floor, looking impossibly deep. Episode 3 The cautious type the group decides its best course of action is to throw a mitflit body into the room towards the bloodstain just to see if anything happens. Sort of anticlimactically, nothing actually happens. So the group enters and ascends the staircase towards the top of the lighthouse. Unfortunately, the door leading to the top appears to be locked and they are unable to force it open. So they decide to double back and look for a key that might open it. As they search the ruins, they find what appears to be an old office. And Aurelia gets her hands on some long-lost alchemy plans she is excited to play around with. While searching, the group finds a secret door that leads to some sort of chapel. Moving in to check the chapel, the group finds a dead body propped up against the other side of the secret door. Hal is able to replace his rapier with a much nicer looking one off the body, etched with a plus one rune. And a few healing potions are also recovered. But quickly the group realizes that this man may have been trying to escape from some danger. And so they cautiously continued their investigation into the chapel. The chapel featured four 20-foot-tall stained glass windows, filtering the bright sunlight and making things both beautiful and colorful. But the scenes on the stained glass are troubling. Ghosts rising from overgrown graveyards, floating up towards a four-pointed orange star above. A pair of skeletal corpses lie near the windows, around an altar of some sort. And as Nulara steps forward to look closer, their eyes begin to glow blue and the corpses come to life. The group is faced with the fight of their life. Quickly, they are overwhelmed. Elenir is clawed by the skeleton and goes down again. Nulara is hurt, unable to take the brunt of the attacks herself. Aurelia tries her best to give out healing ointments to the crew, while Halarmony again uses Soothe to get Elenir back up. A retreat is called, and one by one they exit, barely escaping with their lives. All except one, the youngest of the crew, Halarmony. As he makes his heroic effort to escape, both these creatures start to open their mouths, 
spewing out blue light that would surely spell the end for poor Hallarmony Higgins. And yet, as if touched by some divine source, he does not go down. He is successful in his saves, withstanding the brunt of the light, and survives with a handful of hit points to his name. With Nulara slamming the secret door closed, locking the creatures back in the tomb, all looks safe. Shaken, the group sits down to patch themselves up and reflect on what they found. Searching this small office, Elenir finds a latch that, when opened, triggers a secret door behind a bookshelf that leads down into the darkness, deeper beneath the keep. Realizing the reality of the situation, they decide that going down might not be the best idea and stay put bandaging their wounds. Realizing the reality of the situation, they decide that going down might not be the best idea and decide to stay put bandaging their wounds. As luck would have it, while sitting on the floor being healed, the group finds an unassuming key beneath the couch, one which indeed unlocks the top of the lighthouse. And finally, bruised but still alive, the group hobbled their way up to the top of the lighthouse, used the key, and entered into its top. There, they found a glowing blue energy, like Rin had foreseen, pulsing at its center behind a cage. Satisfied, they decide to look for easier game to finish off, the Mifflets. And as they prepare to ambush the undead guardian, going over, double checking their facts, and making sure they had a solid plan, turns out the Mifflets might have been smarter than given credit for. The skeleton was just a decoy, a propped up suit of armor with a skeleton inside, its only purpose to scare away intruders. Laughing, the group did realize, however, that the polearm was indeed magical itself. And, busting down the door, they were met with the leader of the Mitflits, Boss Skrong, who attacks with fury against the heroes, commanding his minions in battle. The fight was swift and deadly. In the end, the heroes prevailed, and Boss Skrong begged for his life, promising to abandon his plans to attack and take over the town of Otari. Elenir decides to press Skrong into service, and he obliges, promising to be a faithful helper and do everything he can to help his new master. He even provides maps of the area, relaying how they used to live down below the keep, but were forced to the surface because of the stupid bug-eyed creatures, as he called them, that chased them out. He'd like nothing more than to return down there and leave the surface life behind him. He also takes the time to warn the crew of the dangers of a swamp dragon that lives nearby, pointing out his lair beneath the waters. Satisfied, the heroes leave the keep, heading back to Otari for some rest and to hopefully research more about the creatures they encountered, hoping against all hope to find a way to defeat them. Episode 4 Back in town, the heroes are able to meet some of the locals and uncover some of the mysteries going on in the lumber town. Unloading some of their treasures, they hit the town and begin shopping. Nulara learns of a man whose wife was attacked by a werewolf 30 years ago 
and who still has a shrine dedicated to her in his marketplace. Aurelia is able to track down a workshop to do her alchemy. A dwarven woman, Lazda, had a son who went missing almost a year ago. He had a lab set up full of equipment that has gone unused since. She offers it to Aurelia, and the two bond over her missing son, eventually giving the party free room and board as they are now supported by the rowdy rockfish. Hal spends his time busking for coins on the street without much success, though he does make friends with the local crime boss who had heard he was poking around the ruins. While flirting, she insists that she may have a well-paying job. If the group can find some of her missing employees, she will reward them handsomely. They apparently went treasure hunting a week back and never returned, though she is not aware of specifics, only that they were going to be looking for something beneath the ruins themselves. This lady, Ginyasmara, is glad to have a strong, handsome man like Hal Armini on the job. She tells him she can be found at the Crook's Nook. Meanwhile, Elanir uses his time at the library, researching what he can on the creatures they fought, and comes up the jackpot. He learns that the creatures are known as corpse lights and they have one major weakness. Sunlight. If they could just get the creatures into direct sunlight, they would be much easier to deal with. Armed with this knowledge, the group now has a plan. Head back, use Skrong and his pet scorpion to fight and simply smash the stained glass windows to stream light in, giving them the upper hand. Rin reminds them, with another late night chat under the stars, that they should be looking for something that's changed. This newly powered lighthouse is happening for a reason, and possibly something down below is driving it. She tells them as they go back to investigate, both day and night, and see if any secrets happen to reveal themselves. And so, with the fresh night's rest, the group heads back, ready to face the creatures, armed with both knowledge and weapons this time. And that, my friends, is everything that happened during the first four episodes of The Abomination Vaults. You are now all caught up and ready to enjoy the live episode recordings. Thanks for tuning in and listening and I hope you enjoyed our little story recap of the first four episodes. Until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.